What we're doing with Ghetto Gastro, we're really about becoming a pan-African pantry, the mouth of the global south. So we're tapping into ancestral ingredients from the continent. You got sorghum, tiger nut, millet, amaranth, which pays homage to Mexico, cassava, South America. So it's like having this tri-continental, trilateral approach to flavor. We only layer flavors. That's designed for the fit of Ghetto Gastro. Welcome to the Meals That Made Me from First We Feast. I'm Adam Richmond, your host and resident gastronaut. The meals that we make, enjoy, and share are the heart of who we are. In this series, you'll hear from 10 guests across the culinary world sharing funny, illuminating, and touching stories prompted by their most meaningful food memories. And maybe you'll even be inspired to make a few memorable meals of your own. So let's dive in. Okay, with me today are some gentlemen that I am genuinely, genuinely a rabid fan of. Ghetto Gastro is a Bronx-bred culinary art and design collective who are becoming trailblazers in the culinary world and have held up a reputation of hosting one-of-a-kind international events, always with the mission to empower underprivileged communities. Their blend of community activism, incredible culinary chops, and mixed media experience has brought them collaborations with Beats by Dre, Williams Sonoma, and in one of the most enviable moves for yours truly, a dope shoe collab in 2019 with Nike on some sweet, sweet Jordan 1 lows as part of their Fearless Ones campaign. The size 13s are getting hella expensive online, so I'm hoping this interview goes well because you boys only on basic cable. These guys bring flavor, ferocious consciousness, and kitchens uptown and downtown with flavor from the boogie down. Please, everyone, welcome the talented, tough, tasty, target shelved, and ever so trill, Ghetto Gastro. Welcome. Bow. What up, what up? Thank you. Thank you for that gracious introduction, my brother. No, it was a pleasure to write because... It's such a blessing for me to be able to in any way interact with y'all because I, I I love what you do as a New Yorker. I I am familiar with y'all and you guys have been on my radar for a minute. And quite frankly, you guys are like Visa. You're literally everywhere I want to be. Waffles and Models, Art Basel, Plas Vendome, the Oscars. And uh, I watch your recipe videos. I've seen you collaborate with people that I love and respect like J.J. Johnson on Wolfgang Puck. Another first we feast alum, John. I'm always gonna love you for saying don't slip on the drip at a TED talk. <laughs> Less <laughs> your rhymes while cooking are just addictive, and just you gotta have the lingo from here to Santo Domingo. That's a and fact. I wore this shirt kind of in honor of that because I heard you once say yeah, from man. the Big Apple to the Pineapple. Oh man, <laughs> he's picking it up. So. It's truly an honor to have y'all here. And let's just dive right into the question. So I want to start first with the meals of your early childhood. Now, you guys have an expression, WOLF. Do you tell people what WOLF stands for? Yeah, so WOLF is an acronym for Mm -hmm. We Only Layer Flavors. And there's several acronyms that go to it, but that's the one that's most 
you know, designed for the for the fit of ghetto gastro. We only layer flavors. Right. So here we're going to say it's the world of loving food. So I want to dive into the meals that made ghetto gastro. So the collective comes from some pretty diverse backgrounds. Les and John grew up in Cobb City here in NYC. But P, you grew up in the Caribbean and then you moved to the States. So I'd love to learn more about the meals of your early childhood. So here's my question. When you think of home, what dish comes to mind for you? Could we just go around and briefly share what those meals are? I'm going to say the chopped cheese. Starting off from the Bronx, uptown. And it's just one of those foods that are, you know, blue-collar inspired, you know, hardworking gentlemen, women coming home from work, get a chopped cheese. And that's just the essence of the Bronx right there in, in a few bites. Yeah, and in our book, Black Power Kitchen, we got the plant-based chopped cheese version. For me, when I think of meals that made me, I would say the quintessential ghetto gastro dish is definitely triple C's, cornbread, crab salad, and caviar, but I didn't grow up eating that. (laughs) So for me, like what really started my food journey was orange chicken from, you said you were on the Upper West Side, but this was the Upper East Side. It was First Swack on 88th and 3rd Avenue. And that's kind of where I got my chops and my confidence around food because I had this story. I was like five or six years old. I was living in El Barrio. Me and my mom used to go out to eat there. And I, it was this um, older woman that always, she was a regular too, and she always ordered the lemon chicken. But I told her she should order the orange chicken this particular evening because I was like, it's less acidic. You know, it comes with the fried garlic and the broccoli, so you have a well-rounded meal. And after she had that, she was flabbergasted, and she told me I was a remarkable boy and that just stuck with me, getting like that validation from a stranger really, really boosted my confidence. So, Was that the secret to the ultra-wet jump shot? Oh, you you know about that. You know about Come on, that, man, yeah. I do my research. The jump is wet, but and we, we got a dish in our book called Jade Palace that's kind of inspired by like that general style, like hood Chinese kind of kind of vibe. So. so how about early meals for you, P? Yeah, like you said, so I grew up between, um, actually I grew up between Hartford, Connecticut and Barbados and um, a lot of similarities in the foods that we eat here and there. But something that I would say that made me would probably be something like the patties, you know, you can find them all over from the West Indies to the cities. And it's a real easy sort of, uh, like Les said, blue collar food that we like to pick up and eat. So we got, we also have a dish in our book, the hybrid patty. It's a plantain and collard green patty, but... I didn't grow up eating the plantain and collard green joints. I was eating chicken or the veg or, you know, the kalaloo, the pumpkin. Kalaloo, yeah. The jerk plantain or whatever. But the patties is definitely something that, you know, you see that I see in the islands and you see up here in the in the city on the mainland as well. So, And we actually styled them out with the patty or swag you beef with the miso and jerk. The swag you beef with the gold leaf. With the shio combo. With the shio combo in Tokyo. For, had them doing the mambo. Yeah, 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 all of that, man. Had them, had them praising the gods after that one right there. Absolutely, man. man. That was the thing I loved about the TED Talk was hearing you talk about shio combo and then, you know, then all of a sudden talking about Robert Moses and then coming back to gold syrup and warning the audience not to slip on the drip. That's what I love that, like, you know, when, when people expect you to, to go right, y'all go left. And I think that that's kind of the magic of it. So the thing is, again, I I touched on this a little bit earlier. You guys have incredible culinary pedigree. You're well-traveled. I mean, that TED Talk I'm talking about, 
You open up by saying, I just flew from Paris to Vancouver, like you do, <laughs> you know? And I think that it's remarkable that you guys have this incredible pedigree, all this incredible background. So I want to ask next about the meals of your mentors. So bring me back to 2012. You guys are just starting off. John, you said the first time you guys put a dinner together just for a few friends on the Upper West. So please describe in detail the meal you served, what and who inspired it. And I really want to know what were y'all feeling about your first event? So just take us there. Describe that night for us. Well, the first event we did at my friend's Brook House, I want to say it was maybe 80-something in Lexo, 70-something in Lexo, Upper East Side. And we, we did something like, I feel like the food we presented that night, we were going with the grain of like what was happening at kind of like the new restaurants in the city or around the country, like the EMPs, the WD-50s, et cetera. And I remember one of the dinner guests, like a rich white dude, he's like, he gave me something that I won't forget. He was like, what's the difference between this and 11 Madison Park? And I'm like, I couldn't really answer it poignantly. Like, of course, we were doing things like a, a rendition of a beef patty, like fried and filo dough. We had like a... Mofongo pasta. Mofongo pasta that we extruded, like cooked plantains. And Avocado mosaic with shrimp crudo. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was Steez. nice. Yeah, it was, a lot of, it was a lot of good vibes there. But, but I didn't have the direct answer, like, for a quick response. And I was thinking, all right, you know what? Yeah, we, we don't need to just do what other people are doing and present these dinners like this. And I think that's kind of when we were like really wanting to collide the worlds between what we wanted to do, which was party, have fun, bring the ladies out, bring the fellas out, have good vibes, good music, and really created this all-encompassing world versus just a white tablecloth experience. So I think... Were y'all nervous doing that for the first time? I'll tell you what, some of the people that were supposed to help us and like give us prep space, they tried to bail on us that like the day before. So it was crazy. Had to press some, like, yo, it's, it's not a, had, had to bring some of the past life elements. <laughs> it's not a chance. To, it's like, yo, it's not a chance. It's that not you, something you want to really yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, you're not going <laughs> to... Highly advised so, against that. So yeah, it almost didn't happen, but but we figured it out. We had a, our homies like do the sommelier, like make the wine selection. So it, it was a vibe, but that was probably like the first and last dinner we did like that. And then we just really wanted to take it and create our own vibe. Gotcha. How about y'all? Were there any particular chefs that came to mind? I mean, extruding platanos like pasta and stuff like that. Is there any one chef that really stands out? Oh, yeah, for sure. For me, um, rest in peace to the legendary Floyd Cardoz. He was actually, God, uh, he was God. actually, he actually made it to Iron Chef before, um, you know, before it made it to Netflix and, and whatnot. He was amazing. And he was one of the people that were very inspiring to me and my growth because at the time, you know, I was pretty rough around the edges and kitchens like that. I wasn't really meshing that well, you know, with staff, but. Floyd gave me the confidence. He would pull me to the side a lot and just say, you know, keep what you're doing. I admire you. I, you know, I know where you come from. I know the background you come from. And, you know, just show your patience and show your poise and, you know, make things soigne and you'll go far in this game. And, um, and so Floyd was like a major inspiration to me. And he just passed, I think, like two years ago from COVID. From COVID. 
Yeah, yeah, heartbreaking. And, uh, yeah, heartbreaking, man. And also, my man Anthony Rico, we worked together at Spice Market, Jean George restaurant. When I first started there, Anthony Rico was one of those dudes, man. Like, he used to walk down the line, check out everybody, you know, see what's going on. And me, I would be just saying verses like from ice cream, like repeating like ghost face lyrics. And so he was walking by one day and he just completed the lyrics to the to the song that I was singing. And I was like, once that was established, uh-huh. you know, he just became like a mentor of mine. Yeah. You know, he's a he's like an official Brooklyn Italian cat, you know, invited me to his house. I mean, I remember like hearing that, you know, you guys had a, affiliations with Tabla, with Eleven Madison Park, with Noma. Like these are the number one, number two restaurants in the entire world. And I think that's the beautiful thing. Like you guys are the ultimate never judge a book by its cover. Yeah, and no so doubt. I want... I want to know, like, when you guys first jump into the ring, you've, you know, stood at the sides of the Masters, and now Listen, you become- it was a, it, it was a, it was a position that I had at the time. I was chef at the position, and, and let's just say it's one of the one of these jobs that were feeding some of the most important people in the city, and so you can imagine the budget for this for this type of work that I was doing was like in the millions. So yeah. you know, a lot of foods that were given away, weren't used at the end of the night, we were taking those to um to to create meals, you know, for our for our fam for our friends, you know, for um for 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 close people that we knew of that knew of what we were doing, just to create a, a vibe for them and, a, and a, an amazing experience. So we were doing dishes like swerving turf, you know, beautiful pieces of of swag you beef and you know lobster tails and you know just going crazy purple potatoes, uh, fried shallots. We were doing things like foie gras torsions, you know, fresh Ooh. caviar, like. Just going crazy. So like the juxtaposition between the high the highbrow quality ingredients and lowbrow presentation was just like prevalent and we were just like shaking up the room with with, with with other people's leftovers. We were turning, you know, the next the next man's trash to the next one's um, you know, treasures. Excellent. Well, P, how about you? What what dish stands out from those early meals and who inspired them? Because you certainly have an incredible culinary pedigree too. Yeah, I would say that so like I studied culinary in Italy and I trained out there in Milan. So and my mom, she also ate a lot of pasta. Flex. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. Light flex, you know, Carlo Craco, Craco Peck. It was like the number one restaurant in Italy at the time. So anyways, my mom, she ate a lot of pasta when she was pregnant. So like that's kind of what led me to like having this affinity with pasta. So I went to culinary school out there and whatever. And everybody calls me pasta P. So I would say I would say that pasta is probably like something that really inspires me in general, like a major dish that's kind of like changed the trajectory in my life just because, you know, that's what took me on um, like my first, outside of Barbados, you know, that was like my first trip to Europe and to like another country outside of Barbados or the U.S., you know, so like I learned firsthand and was able to see what real pasta tasted like, you know, you never really have a plate of pasta until you eat, you know, some tagliatelle, up in Piemonte in September, you know, with some fresh white truffles on top of it, you know? And like when I had that for the first time, Ooh. that really opened my eyes. And um, yeah, so it has to be the pasta. Because there's no real Bayesian tradition for noodles. I mean, that's the thing. There's dumplings, but is well, there a so particular- So we got chow mein, we got chow mein, right? That's so, right. 
it's it's not really like it's it's a Beijing tradition, but it's like a Chinese thing. It's like some like almost like some hood Chinese, but they do we do like a chow mein with like curry powder and like soy sauce or something like that. Reminds um, me of the yaka mein that you'll find down in New Orleans. New Orleans exactly, exactly. But we were able to like merge like the the pasta techniques and uh, West Indian ingredients and with the with the roasted breadfruit gnocchi, and we got that in the book as well. So you know. Traditionally, you roast the breadfruit over the open fire and they scoop Ooh. it out or whatever. But like, we take it a little further, scoop that out, make a make a dumpling, you know, because that's what gnocchi is. Bing we bong. call we call that, that that na mean yaka mean. You heard? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What superb <laughs> answers from all y'all. Unless I, I don't trust anybody who doesn't know lyrics from Cuban Links. That Facts. is a masterwork. That's in my top five all time. So let's move on to the meals of some of your biggest moments. And Lord knows you've had, I mean, I already mentioned it in the intro, the Oscars, Place Vendôme, speaking at TED Talks, Art Basel, and so on. But, you know, that's the thing. Ghetto Gastro is not just about creating phenomenal food experiences, but putting out some incredible food products that now people can cook at home to get a sample of the ghetto gastro experience if they're not lucky enough. I mean, I know that you've actually mentioned that the food's so good and the vibe is so right that even if people don't get the food, they're not really too angry because they're just there. But for those that don't know, ghetto gastro has this waffle mix and the line is available from their website. And this thing, it's the wavy waffle. <laughs> and uh, Wavy, baby. How did the wave... Free Max B. Yes. First of all, first and foremost, free the, free the wave guy. Free Big Avell. <laughs> oh, fair enough, man. Okay, so how did the wavy waffle become such a staple for you guys? So much so that you have different kinds of waffle mix for people to try anywhere they are at home. Yeah, with the wavy waffle, we just kind of wanted to start it where our story started. And the first thing that we did, the first project that really kind of got acclaim outside of our immediate circle was Waffles and Models. You know, we did that in 2013, took over Le Baron, had Venus X spinning, Vashti, the homie Brendan Fallis, Rufio, had Theophilus London performing. Cardi B was dancing at the time. I had met her the night before, and she came to get busy with us. And it was just a vibe, man. That's like when we got our first bit of, I think the vibe might have been before that, but like we were in the New York Observer, and then people just started really coming after that experience. And we were really able to merge like the downtown with our uptown kind of culture. So yeah, that's why we started with the waffles. <laughs> <laughs> but is there something about the flavor in the waffle? Is I mean, I know well, y'all can't give away trade secrets, but... What makes our waffle mix super unique, because what we're doing with the Ghetto Gastro consumer products, we're really about becoming a pan-African pantry, the mouth for the global south. So we're tapping into ancestral ingredients from the continent. So you got sorghum, tiger nut, millet, you got amaranth, which pays homage to Mexico. Cassava. Cassava, South America. Mm -hmm. So it's like really having this like tri-continental, trilateral approach to flavor. They were gluten-free before gluten-free was cool. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and for the red velvet, we got all natural coloring in it as well with the passion fruit, with the beets, raspberry. Well, flavor that just oh, happens yeah. to be red, yeah. And um, 
which is incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to just also mention one thing. Y'all have been very vocal about, you know, the food scarcity. People think you live in a city that there's no food deserts. And people don't realize that in underserved communities, there was a study a few years ago that that children below the poverty line, one out of seven couldn't identify broccoli, you know? And you guys are, are doing so much in terms of using like plant-based chopped cheese that you started with cashew butter and imparting the culinary knowledge, talking about julienne, using good olive oil, using impossible uh, meat instead. So, you know, is that like the main foci that you guys are working on in terms of like bringing that flavor, you know, that wolf that, you know, layering flavor philosophy, but to use things like amaranth, to use things like sorghum. Yes, there's that cultural connection, but it's a healthier ingredient. Like you said, red velvet with beet as the basis of the food coloring instead of red number five, whatever it is. Hibiscus, is that hibiscus, yeah, hibiscus dragon, dragon fruit, fruit, raspberry, raspberry strawberry, yeah, all that. Yeah. Is that one of your main foci other than just making something delicious? Yeah, it's really about imparting the knowledge into the food. You know, we like to say on our side, important, it's a little stealth health, right? John says, putting a little medicine in the Kool-Aid. And, and that's what it's really all about. You know, you got to meet people where they're at and kind of just be able to deliver things that aren't intimidating, but are intriguing, you know, that kind of make you think like, all right, cool, I ate this. Oh, what's inside of this? Okay, cassava? Like, okay, I don't even know about all that, you know? So it's just about like unlocking these, you know, these different levels of learning through like the ingredients that we're using in the food and like the storytelling. And really honing in on like cultural palettes and cultural stories because, you know, we're from the Bronx. So the unique thing about the Bronx is that I think it has the poorest congressional district in the United States, which still baffles me. But it's also home to the largest food distribution center in the world of its kind. So you have like the second largest fish market to to the Skigi market in Tokyo with the South Street Seaport Market, which is now on Hunts Point. But yet so much of this food is delivered elsewhere, you know, for commerce. But we're really dealing with food apartheid. And we, we got that from Karen Washington because she had the knowledge to say, you know, desert implies that it's a natural occurrence, but it's really engineered and designed. So so we're just like trying to do what we can to promote knowledge, to make things that that people want to eat. Because I have a, in my opinion, I don't think if you just drop Swiss chard with my little cousins that live in my Haven projects, if they're going to run to that, you know? So it's like, how do we create things that are delicious and treat that Swiss chart in a way that appeals to the palate of the communities that we're talking about. I think that's amazing. It's like, you know, like the lyric says, you know, same number, same hood. Like you guys are still there and you've been very vocal. I remember hearing you talk about Robert Moses and the Cross Bronx and how it redlined the district and how Featherbed Lane was the ultimate oxymoron because it's not a place of comfort and rest. And I think it's beautiful that despite the fact that you guys have this glitzy, you know, access that you're still bringing it back. So I think that that's really beautiful and and allowing other people to fulfill their own culinary dreams and, and putting the power. And that's, I guess, the best way to segue into, I guess, the future meals segment and the meals of your dreams. Now, I know you guys don't want to give too much away because you want people to order your cookbook, The Black Power Kitchen. Yes, yes. Sign copies at the Lip Bar. Oh, really? All that. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, signed copies out the Lip Bar, Black-owned bookstore. It's actually the only bookstore in the Bronx right now since they closed the Barnes & Nobles in Co-op City. So, yeah, support the Lip Bar. Absolutely. Well, since this is a dream project for you, let's get into the meals of your dreams. What is one standout dish from the cookbook that you can share with us to get our listeners excited about this incredible collection? Ah, man, there's a few, um, and they change up during the course of the day and the you know, how I'm feeling. But we got one dish called the Stewie Newton, which is a rendition of a feijoada that was created by the, um, you know, the enslaved Africans in Brazil, mm-hmm. in Bahia, Brazil. And um, I just put a twist on it, plant-based, super flavorful, layering those flavors. That's one dish that I could stand by and I think people will really enjoy. That's really hearty. And that's a great story behind it as well. I would say for me, yes, the triple. I would say the triple C's. You know, honestly, that dish for us is like the quintessential ghetto gastro sort of storytelling, flavors layered, and all of that into one dish. It's the cornbread, the crab salad with the caviar. Mm-hmm. So you know, looks talk, incredible. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. Looks mm-hmm. incredible. That dish right there has been served, like you said, everywhere from Place Vendôme in Paris mm-hmm. to Art Basel in Hong Kong, Tokyo, Tokyo Singapore. You know, Every, mm. Everywhere. With, so, with Cool Herc in the South Bronx. South Bronx, you know, we right. turned Remember the cool days Herc. when Cool Herc played? He played our joint. Yeah, he did. Work? Yeah, yeah. This was when we were at the Andrew Friedman home. home. He was also an artist in residence, so we linked with his sister, and we, we put it together. It was like a barbecue for the community, and he was spinning and brought the Ghetto Blaster out. It was fire. Did the premiere for the... Get Down. The Get Down. But it was after the Get Down. Oh, yeah. We did it in the garden, the barbecue in the garden. That's a fact, that's a fact. Do you have a favorite dish, John? Do you have a favorite dish in the cookbook? Yeah, yeah. My dish right now, like I'm similar to Les, it depends on how I feel when I wake up. But right now, I would love that Seafood City and you know about City Island, so Sir. that dish is like an homage to City Island, Orchard Beach. Orchard Beach. Um, and I wash it down with a nutcracker, and we got the nutcracker recipes in there. We take responsibility for Drake and Skeptic collabing because they met at our party. And, you know, they tried to sweep under the rug who really, who really put together the resources for that thing to pop off. Shout out to Drizzy. Shout out to Skeptic. Now, we always want to leave our listeners a little bit of a rapid fire segment. So we're going to hit the question and we'll go around the horn and it's going to be about like favorites. So I'll do one question and I guess we can go John to P and we'll go around the horn. So we're going to go rapid fire. Okay, here we go. So around the horn, best pizza topic. I go with the the beef pepperoni that Scar's got. I don't even know beef pepperoni existed. So when I don't want to swan and dine, I'll go to that beef pepperoni. Shout out Scars L.E.S. Crispy fried shallots and garlic on top of the pizza with a little drizzle of some white truffle oil. Pete. I'm going to go jalapeno and anchovy, the topping that they do at Pizzeria Badia down there in Philly. Fire. Excellent. Okay, best vegetable to eat raw? Maybe some cabbage, you know, but some marinated and massaged cabbage, but in its raw state. But like, you know, massage, taken care of, olive oil, some Calabria chilies. You're cheating uh, now, but I'll, I'm with that cheating, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Season yeah. it up. I like radishes with some fresh, fresh butter or cream. English peas fresh out the pot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Favorite cookbook of all time? I would say part one is Black Power Kitchen, Labor of Love. But I also say it's a 1A is Patti LaBelle's cookbook, 
I grew up with that in the crib. Wow. And then Joya cooking. I used to go to sleep. Yes, sir. Reading Joya cooking recipes. Because they had no pictures and the recipes was all like 20 pages long. So I would definitely fall asleep reading about <laughs> roasting a chicken. Making a souffle. <laughs> How about you, Les? All right, for me, it would probably be um, Never Trust a Skinny Chef by Massimo Batoro. Great book. For me, this is P, my favorite book, Definitely Ghetto Gastro, Black Power Kitchen. And then I would say High on the Hog by Dr. Jessica B. Harris, just because that uh, inspired a lot of like my and our sort of seek for knowledge and like understanding the origin and the roots of where like the foods came from. Favorite condiment? Bajan pepper sauce. Okay. Saw you. And you could get that recipe in the Black Power Kitchen recipe book. Ghetto gastro twerk sauce. Okay, twerk sauce. Okay. Best dip for French fries. Oh, it's definitely ketchup, mayo, and pepper sauce. Ah, uh, man, you know I'm a Mixed. player, so I'm gonna say that honey dip, man. So I go ketchup first, mayo second, spicy Dijon third. Bing, bong, bing. Bing, bong, bing. Yes, sir. Favorite fast food item? My fast food is uh, is to go to Feroza's Roti Shop. I'm gonna do the, um, the roti skin with the curry vegetables in there with the chickpeas and, and do some doubles as well. Okay. I'll say, yeah, like the fast food I eat is probably, it's a combo. It's, it's going to Kingston Tropical Bakery, getting some patties and cocoa bread, and then hitting Green Garden for a smoothie or juices for life for that Armageddon. Yes. I'll weep for the people that are going to go Arby's beef and cheese after this. I'm just going to echo what John was saying. Like, I'll pull up I thought he was going to say the Chefet roti. You can only get Chefet in Barbados. It's put down all other competitors in terms of fast food. <laughs> Boom. Okay, favorite song. I know that y'all have done like this before where you talked about each course, but if you had to cook to one song, what would it be? Right now, Black Thought and Danger Mouse, Viola and Lupita's track. Fire. Anything Roy Ayers when I'm in that vibe. Man. Roy Ayers. Okay. Any particular track? Everybody loves the sunshine. Beautiful song. How about you, P? Um, I always said that my my favorite song is Smooth Operated by Sade. I just play to that shit in the kitchen. Just be vibing. Ooh. <laughs> All right. I do one custom question for each of our guests. This one is just for Ghetto Gastro. What? rapper's style is most like your individual culinary style, eating or cooking? I'll say Drizzy Drake personally in terms of delivery, you know, versatility and, you know, overall appeal. I would say Ghostface Killer because it doesn't matter what he says, he's going to make it sound a way that's eloquent to the listener. Alright, so like I compare that to my cooking style because the way I was raised, I would look in my cabinets to try to find what there is to eat, and I would make something out of anything. And I feel like that's what he's done with his cadence and with his delivery for the past, I don't know, guess 20-something years that he's been in the rap game. Absolutely. Like I said, I don't cook much, but I'll say my culinary lens, I would say the goat hove, you know, because we could take it from the, from the bricks to the Santro pay with the chancletas with jeans on, oh. like Cameron might say. <laughs> you know, we could do it all. You know what I mean? We could take it from Santro pay to Osaka Bay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I got to thank you all as a genuine fan of what you do, what you've accomplished, where you're taking food, where you're taking us on your journey. Thank you so much for joining us, for the meals we made us. Anything else you want to say to the people out there? Black Power Kitchen is dropping everywhere, but you can cop it right now. Pre-order it on Amazon. That's it. Support Black-owned businesses, man. We out here doing good. Absolutely. Follow them on social. Follow them on YouTube. We hope you enjoyed this incredible career-spanning interview with the mighty Ghetto Gastro. We hope that you're inspired to dive deeper into the meals of your childhood, your mentors, your travels, and the meals that inspire you and continue to take you places now and into the future. Join us next time for a deep conversation with a personal hero and dear friend. Emmy-winning and four-time James Beard Award-winning TV personality, chef, writer, and social justice advocate, Andrew Zimmern. You do not want to miss it. And Ghetto Gastro, again, as a New Yorker, as a hip-hop fan, as someone who has long been a stan of yours and secretly wished to go to Models and Waffles so, so badly. We're going to do another one. We're going to do another one. Unbelievable. Thank you so much. Appreciate those words. Thank you for having us, man. It's an honor. This podcast is produced by First We Feast in collaboration with Complex Networks. Our host is me, Adam Richmond. Our executive producers are Chris Schoenberger, Nicola Lynch, and Justin Bolas. Our head of podcast production is Jen Stewart. Our supervising producer is Shiva Bayat. Our senior producer is Jocelyn Aram. Our associate producers are Nina Pollock and Catherine Hernandez. Our production managers are Shamara Rochester and Natasha Bennett. Our recording engineer and sound designer is Andrew Guastella. Thanks to the team at BuzzFeed. For more First We Feast content, head to youtube.com slash First We Feast or at First We Feast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. If you enjoy these interviews and you want to hear more, then please drop a five-star review and we... We'll see you next time on The Meals That Made Me.